Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Off the Couch, where psychology meets everyday life. I am Dr. Greg Kaysan. I had to look down to see. I'm Dr. Greg Kaysan, psychologist, and I'm here with Brian Gomez. Hi, Brian. Hey, happy Monday, you guys. <laughs> happy Monday. And we are here to talk about several things, uh, psycho- psychological topics that really touch our lives. And this week in psychology, we're going to talk about what kind of people hide their sickness at the gym. You know you, you know who you are. Getting to an authentic yes, which is very practical advice, because if you really want someone to say yes and to feel good about that yes, will you marry me? then you want them to do it right. And actually, we have some good advice for you there. And then we're going to talk about the phenomenon of looks maxing. This is actually a phenomenon that's happening on TikTok. And I was shocked. So we're going to talk about that and other disturbing things that men do. First of all, though, the weather. So Brian and I are located in Los Angeles, and the weather has been absolutely awful. Um, we in my little area got about six inches in the last 24 hours, and I know that other people got much worse. Some people got 10 or whatever, 11 inches, and some people got not as much, or maybe only four or three inches. I, I don't know how it goes, but it, somehow the weather just really hit, and our house, which we just had the roof done... Uh, decided, you know, that we don't want to have our roof done. We're just going to leak everywhere. And water was just pouring in last night. So I was up all night changing buckets and doing all kinds of things. And I have to tell you, that was not a good feeling. In fact, I talked to another friend who had a flood in her backyard that she had to put up sandbags and was pushing water out of their house. And I think we shared the same feeling. When you're in the midst of a weather disaster, it feels demoralizing. How was you? How are you, Brian? Uh, not as bad. <laughs> I am so grateful that I am not having any leaking or flooding. Um, I'm just having an issue with walking my dog in the rain because, yeah, I can't get around that one. But other than that, I'm grateful. But a lot of people I've heard like their roofs are leaking for sure, like in a lot of buildings. So you're not alone. I think a lot of L.A. is getting it. It really bums me out because I've lived in Houston, Texas and Houston, Texas. That is a land of hurricanes and Houston gets flooded and they have hurricanes come through that town. And I will tell you, those roofs hold. So it's almost shocking to me. Why are L.A. roofs so resistant to holding it? Somebody told me it has to do with the weather and the dryness and the expansion and contraction of the roofs and blah, blah. 
but God only knows, you know, Houston does a couple of things right. They do roofs right, They, you know, and they build for hurricanes. They also do air conditioning right. So right on Houston. Okay, before we start talking about the other stories we're talking about, we're going to start with the news, not end with it. So this week in the news, I didn't want to talk about this. Everybody's talking about it, and I have to tell you, it's because we talked about who posts fake news, and so we talked about who who did that, and lo and behold, what's the biggest story across the universe is Taylor and Travis and MAGA's fake Super Bowl plot. That is actually the name of the article in here. I saw it in the LA Times and I'm like, oh shoot, I have to talk about this. Um, Taylor Swift, if you don't know, she's a big pop star. She just won album of the year and uh, best pop album She uh, at the Grammys. And if you don't know who she is, I would say you're probably under a rock. Um, if you didn't know, you might just be a fan of Travis Kelsey, who is a football player. So now the two of them are together. He's with the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to the Super Bowl. I mean, is this a crazy like homecoming queen with the with the uh, quarterback or I guess he's a tight end? Um story it's absolutely amazing isn't it cool brian you know it's funny because i don't keep up with sports like that and i'm like oh i had no idea they're going to the super bowl but what a coincidence i don't know if that's just you know she wins the grammy they're going to the super bowl you know i hope for gonna be made there for sure yeah you know okay well you know but i i think it's just kind of sweet actually anyway so they so this fake super bowl plot involves those two people it also involves the nfl and the white house okay i got to bring you in on this it's called a psyop and if you don't know what a psyop is good for you a psyop apparently is psychological operations and they're operations that convey information to audiences to influence motive motives and behavior these are used in like the CIA or something. But now it's become this popular term that we're doing all kinds of conspiracy theories and we're saying everyone's doing a psyop and we're all being manipulated. We're all being like puppets on a string. Anyway, they believe that Taylor Swift is a Trojan horse or undercover White House operative. I have to, I have to read this. She's an undercover White House operative. They think the NFL engineered the Kansas City Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl in order to give Taylor Swift the opportunity to endorse President Joe Biden in the upcoming election, thereby tanking the GOP's chances because somebody has a mind of their own. I mean... That's insane. I can't help but to laugh. <laughs> oh my god! It's the it's so insane. I can't believe anybody believes it. But apparently, some people do. It's been repeated constantly on conservative news networks and radio talk shows. And the Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, um, I think, put it on Twitter, and it was seconded by Elon Musk. Oh, Elon Musk! Aren't both of those men really scared of women, though? They are scary to women. I don't know if they're scared of women. I don't know if I'd be scared of any of either of them as a woman. (laughs) Well, I meant, you know, maybe for dates. Okay, so the research, you know, we talked about some uh, time last time, which is research by the Harvard Kennedy School. And we talked about several reasons people share fake news. Some And these seem to be fall into these final two categories that we talked about last time, which is some people are doing it intentionally to harm or mislead others. I can't think of 
anything else but that. But it could be some people are doing it for what they think are good reasons because they think it will persuade or motivate people, um, basically persuade them away from watching the Super Bowl or paying attention to Taylor Swift and and turning the army of Swifties. I don't know. I can't follow all of these things. The problem about this, and this goes into the psychological concept I want to bring everyone in on, is that basically the problem of even me and everybody else, but even me talking about this, is I become part of the problem. So when you talk about these things, you actually give them life. And we talked about last week. Do you remember we talked about that the way to to put the stuff out, we talked about a study, the way to put it out is to not respond, not to like it, not forward it, not argue with it. Just report it to the platform, be done with it. You don't even, and if you're not going to do that, just delete it. Right? Yeah, no. Okay. That's, that's exactly but what we said. Here's the problem. We have two biases at work, and these tend to make people start to believe things. There's the availability cascade bias. The availability cascade bias is a tough one. I'll read it, but I could just describe it. I'll just describe it. It refers to the case of widespread beliefs that take shape because other people in our networks have been exposed to the same idea. So it's like, wait a minute. You know, I'm hearing that from this end and I'm hearing it from this end, which is something we call reference groups. And reference groups tend to shape our ideas, whether you're in church or at work or family, whatever. These start to shape our ideas. And then it becomes subject because you're seeing it constantly and it's being repeated everywhere. That's repetition bias, which I just participated in. That's when you repeat information. The repeated information feels more true than unrepeated information. And thanks to repetition bias, the more time you hear a message, even if you're hearing that it's wrong, the more times you hear a message, the greater the number of sources repeating that message, the more believable it becomes. So just continually, you're like, that must be true. Why do they keep talking about it? <clears throat> so anyway, Best course of action, do nothing, don't forward, don't like, don't argue, just, here we go, shake it off. <laughs> oh, my God. I there know. you go. I know. It's the only song I know. Which, my only Taylor Swift song I know. I, I find her a perfectly lovely person, so I, I guess I don't understand the hate that's directed, but she seems like a lovely human being and very talented and obviously makes a lot of people very happy. So I think that's that's a good thing. And one time we'll talk about the power of music and what the good it does to us. We were just talking about the Grammys before we started recording and how powerful music is. And, and just, I was talking about Tracy Chapman, who's one of my favorite artists of all time and seeing her at the Grammys was an absolute thrill. So. This brings me to another issue, though, what we were talking about. A friend advised me over our last show because I talked about the Supreme Court and the effect those decisions had on women's mental health. And what I thought was that was the coolest study. Um, and especially saying the women who lived in trigger law states actually had worse mental health, worse depression and anxiety than women who didn't. Um, and it's just this effect of this decision actually affected mental health across the nation. And a friend advised me, he said, do not talk about politics because that will turn off everyone. And I was like, I don't want to talk about politics. 
but it was a cool study. I mean, I don't know how we can not talk about real life. Remember, we're talking about how psychology meets everyday life. We're talking about psychology for everyday life. It is psychology all around us. And we talk about our environment and our envi and politics shape our environment, which then causes to act differently in different situations. So I don't know how I don't talk about something when I see a cool study that really tells us about something. And I feel like especially in the time we're in, politics bleeds more now into our daily lives than it ever has before. I feel like there's nothing we can't really talk about without talking about politics in some way. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, and it does come in. But honestly, I don't want to talk about politics on this show. That is not what this show is. This show is about psychology. And it really is me trying to bring the word to you. But I did find a study uh, that was released this week that I have to say my friend actually has a good point. <laughs> so according to stunning new research, this is brand new, released in the journal Science, one of the great journals. And this is a joint effort study done by, get this, Northwestern, Harvard, UCI, Stanford, University of Arizona, University of Maryland, Dartmouth, MIT, University of Illinois at Chicago and NYU. Oh, my God. That was a lot. All Those are girls. all tremendous top tier universities. They found that both Democrats and Republicans regarded people with opposing political views as less moral than people from their own party. Do I need to repeat that? Both Democrats and Republicans, either one, regard the people from the opposing political party as less moral than themselves and their people in their own party. This they found even when their political opposites treated them kindly or acted fairly toward them. Isn't that shocking? This was even described with people who were moderately conservative or moderately liberal, but the more the extreme the ideology, the harsher the judgment from the other side. So basically what we have in this world, this is I, I can go off on why this is really fascinating. Just to say, though, this is the problem. Because I grew up in a world that even if someone disagreed, you still respected them as a human being. You still looked to their soul and saw a good person. You could still sit next to them and work with them and negotiate with them. But it didn't mean they were bad. It meant you just disagreed. Now people are seeing them in a little bit different way. Do you think that it's now a bit more drastic on the sides and it wasn't as drastic in that sense before? That seems to be what this study is showing. And it's very interesting to me because... This shows up in so many ways. I'm like, oh, this study really actually is a really helpful guide to understand what's happening and to look at things like when you look at this study I'll talk about at the very end, this clue, I, clue ideological mate study. Um, we'll talk about it. Um, but it's the women in the United States, and I can't remember the other country, you know, like Chile maybe, but uh, look at um, – Political affiliation as a desirable trait, but most other countries, that's not the case. Mm. Isn't that fascinating? Okay.
So participants were playing a game with someone they knew nothing else about. They played this game and it was a bad game. It was called, I think it was called the ultimatum game. And, and they basically, you know, forced their hand, but they just were told, you're going to play with a Democrat. You're going to play with a Republican. And then they'd have them play, but they didn't get to talk about anything else. They just told them that. And the researchers found that even after fair or kind treatment, participants still rated their political opponents as less moral. There were no differences in judgments whether the person was conservative or liberal. So conservatives usually get the bad rap here. They're usually seen as the people who are more hyper-partisan, more hyper-judgmental, uh, and they tend to look at people more negatively. But in this game, it went across both sides. Fascinating. That is the problem. It's funny you say that because I've had that issue where I wondered if I wanted to become friends with somebody just because of the way they view certain things in politics. And yeah, sometimes I still wonder. You know? I, you know, here's my advice. Absolutely. I can't even tell you how important I think it is to have people in your lives that you see the humanity, that you see the grace, that you see the human being inside of them, separate from their beliefs. And even if you want to, you can be curious about their beliefs and kind of understand them as human beings. And you can disagree with them. I, I have no problem disagreeing with people, probably as you know, but no problem whatsoever. But I still think that, I still think every person uh, deserves dignity and and every person um can be a great friend or a great family member you know so i th can't think of all the people i would cut out of my life if i only had to pick a political side i'm i probably am one of those rare people who has a large cache of people family friends on you know all sides of the political aisle and i was i remember pbs did a study years ago that said three percent of people um 3% of only 3% of people will consume uh, news from both uh, liberal and conservative media sources. So I'm like, what? But I'm one of those rare ones, I guess. Um, okay. So what kind of people this guy, oh, I saw this great. Oh, I don't even know where it is. I saw, I saw this great article at the New Yorker. It says, I'm sick all year round, but I'm also ripped. Meet the coughing guy at your gym. <laughs> you know him, Brian. I hate him already. <laughs> Wait, but is he you? No. Wait, is this quote familiar? I sneeze on all gym equipment from January to December. My immune system is shot because I constantly go from cold workout area to mildewy sauna-like bathroom. I could end up in the hospital despite all the liquid death I drink, but more important is that all in the fact that I'm ripped, yoked, jacked, and swole, brother, and I'm not going to stop now because I, you might catch what I have. And boy, then I see this great study. How about this? So wait, wait, have you hidden ever hid sickness at the gym? No, no, I think that's gross. And no, I, I'm kind of germaphobic with the gym when like I hate when people cough without even like coughing into their shirt. Where I'm like, bro, it's yeah. still spreading if you're just going like this. Like, I'm sorry to everybody that does that, but that's still going to get around. And I, yeah, uh, you know, I used to be someone who would push through anything. I'd push through and go to school, push through and go to work. You know, I mean, and, and a lot of it when you're young, 
um, and you have to work. You, you kind of have to go into work and you feel like you don't have much choice in your life. And, you know, I would just go, 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 go all the time. But, uh, you know, then I started working in hospitals and I started realizing, oh, this is not good. People get really sick. Um, and, and I, I actually had to deal with some major things in my life. And I think that retrains you that you do not ever want to share something. And I did get a contagious illness once that was so serious. I was out for months. So it was a bad one. And I think you know me well enough that like, I don't really get sick like that. I'm it's weird. You're lucky. Lucky, but I try to take <laughs> care of myself so bad because I hate getting sick. I hate feeling sick. So yeah, I try to avoid it as much as you can. Drink water, y'all. So University of Michigan did a study, great, and they published it in journal, Psychological Science, great, great stuff. And they found it's not just gym, it's the work, it's school, it's parties. This study was done by two doctoral students, and I've talked about it again, doctoral students at it again, the, you know, it's the, they are the ones producing this research because they need to produce their dissertations, and they do some very cool stuff. And this is how we get so, so many cool studies out there that you never would have, because they're not funded, these people just kind of create these out of thin air and then they do these studies. So they analyzed data from 10 studies of illness and disease concealment in more than 4,100 U.S. university students, healthcare employees, and other workers. They found that 75% of participants reported concealing illnesses in interpersonal interactions, possibly placing them in harm's way 70 Five percent, but the more shocking number was healthcare workers. Sixty-one percent covered up illness. Well, I feel bad for the healthcare workers because I feel like they're just surrounded by diseases you, in the air. Oh yeah, and you know, and well, I, I guess I was going to say, do you did you have to do those apps? But I guess I did when I worked at UCLA Hospital. We'd have to do this app. You have to every day say during COVID. You know, I got this symptom or this symptom, and then they'd be like, stay home, get tested, and you have to report back, and it was, you have to go get tested, and it's a big old ordeal. And those apps were such a pain in the butt. And I could see how people would perhaps say, I know how to answer this, so it doesn't make me do 18 errands. You know, um, so 41% re reported misusing those apps, those screeners, and attempt to, and to, um, conceal illness the other thing i'd have is i have allergies i have really bad allergies so i'm always having a runny nose so um that is just a pain in the butt i have to say but and during covid now everyone's like what's going on but, everybody thinks you're sick just because you have a runny nose i know and i always have a runny no, nose. i deal with the same thing even if i get nervous sometimes it'll start running and i'm like ah yeah yeah Oh, mine's running right now. Okay, so motivation, social, uh, wanting to attend concerts or parties, achievement-oriented, completing work or school objectives. That's I tend to fall into that category when I've done it. Um, very few participants mentioned work policies like a lack of time off. So people who are gig workers and stuff, they don't usually mention that is the reason they might go in. That's just interesting. Um the concealers trade off risks to others in favor of their own social goals. And it was found, and this is something I know, and I've, I've educated clients about this. When you're ill, 
your decision making is kind of screwed up and people make very bad decisions. So the study found healthy people predicted that they would be unlikely to hide their harmful diseases, but actively sick people reported high levels of concealment regardless of how harmful their illness was to others. And that just uh, that just shows that when you're sick, you're insensitive to how spreadable and severe their illness is to others. How about that? So the next one, I thought this was an extremely practical study, but you're going to have to go with me on this because this probably doesn't seem like the sexiest study, but I thought this was sexy. It's getting people to an authentic yes. Employees and friends benefit when they agree to requests freely rather than feeling pressured or coerced. Oh, that's wait. That's that's not like a finding. That's just a real thing. The pe- <laughs> I'm reading it the wrong way. So it can lead to resentment and backlash. So if you ask someone to do something and they say yes, but they don't really want to, they're gonna feel resentful, don't you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Always. Just, and I still do it. <laughs> I still. Everyone does it. We'll see in the research. Everyone does it. Okay. Requests are inherently difficult to refuse, and we've talked about how to say no and the impact of saying no on previous podcasts. So it was just really interesting that this study came up too. Previous research focused on people's reactions, as we said. Um, so people tend to overestimate the social consequences of saying no. Um, but in, in, you want to answer someone somewhat honestly, but tell me, Brian, what about, you know, if someone gives you a new duty at work that you really don't want to do? Oh God. How <laughs> I'm about, already upset. Oh, I can just picture it. How about, how about when someone asks you to feed their animal while someone is away? That I don't mind if I can like remember to do it oh, when they tell me to do it. Yeah. Um, but unless it's like outside the bubble and I'm having to go over the hill during traffic hour mm. and I'm like, oh. yeah. Or like picking somebody up from the airport at LAX. Yeah, that was them. my next one. That's that's the one. Taking someone to the airport, picking someone up to the airport. Yeah, those are the big those are the big ones. So this was a study done by Cornell. And this isn't done. It's a little bit of organizational psychology. We'll talk about that. Cornell University Industrial and Labor Relations School, ILR School and the University of Michigan great schools again and this was published in scientific reports and this was another doctoral student this is based on two different studies it's conducted through um we talked about the ilr schools experimental psychology and organizations lab organizational psychology it's this field i love and i will talk about it it's really how psychology impacts organizations so it's basically business it's basically all of business and all of business seems to have its own lingo and its own way of doing things, but it's all kind of the same, but they just repeat everything and make it more expensive. So there you go. Um, they get paid very well. Organizational psychologists. We need to get into that. ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to, but I love working with individuals. So they were looked over a two year period and they had 535 participants. They found that giving people that you're requesting something from, a specific way to decline is particularly effective. Let me talk about that. So people in their study, and this is fun, I just want to know what you how you'd react. The experiment was that people were no, they were participating in a study, but they didn't really quite know what the study was going to be. So they 
They looked at how to respond to an intrusive request. That was what the object of the study was. So the study participants didn't know, and they were they were actually gotten into this room, um, and they they were standing there. And the the uh, experimenter says, um, "I'll need everyone's cell phone, but you have to turn it on first. And I'm going to go outside and check something on it, and then I'll come back." <laughs> <laughs> What was your reaction? <laughs> I don't know. What are they checking? <laughs> so they did two different conditions. One is called the right to refuse condition. They told them they could say no. And I, I'll read the script because it's kind of a good one. And then the one is the right to refuse where they told them how to say no. Both scripts were almost identical except for one little piece. So I'll just read one, which before we began the study, can you please unlock your phone and hand it to me? I'll just need to take your phone outside of the room for a moment and check for some things. I love that vague, some things. As a participant in a research study, you have the right to refuse at any time. And I will tell you more about your right to refuse if you choose to, which of course that's like reading Apple's terms of agreement. Um, refusing will not affect your payment or participation in the study. If you would like to refuse, you may do so now. Okay. Would you do it? Uh, You'd be surprised how many people, I'm going to come back. It depends. So the, the only difference the other did is they went through that same spiel, but then at the end they said, if you would like to refuse, you can let me know now by saying the words, I would rather not or no thank you. So that's the how to refuse group. They told them how to say no, say I'd rather not or no thank you. So after delivering the script, they held out a small basket. They waited for the research participant to hand over their phone. Okay. I thought about this and I thought, you know what? I always, I, if I were participating in research, I kind of go for it sometimes. So I could see myself saying yes and then, and then like biting my nails. Um, but I'd be more nervous about a, a friend looking at my phone than I would a, a, a researcher. A friend, or then I would, <laughs> would think like, wait, is this like FBI or something? Am I going to jail <laughs> for something I know. they're looking through my phone? To check for some things. So here are their surprise findings. 83% were in the right to refuse condition. They said you cannot do it, but they didn't tell them how. They just said you can, you can refuse. 83% turned their phones over. 83%. But in the how to refuse condition, they did not find much of a difference. 78% how to refuse. They turned over their phones. People turned over their phones. Here's why things are different in those groups. Telling participants how to refuse led participants to feel freer to refuse. So they said when they took this little survey after, they felt more free to refuse, which allowed them to say yes and turn it over and not feel resentment or fear. Like they're like, okay, I know how to refuse. Okay, I'm going to turn this over. Um, so when you when you know you know you just have the right to refuse, you, you're often kind of baffled because you're like stuck. What am I going to say? I don't know. Everyone, no one else is saying anything. That's another study we'll talk about. Um, but you more feel more genuinely able to make a free choice. No, yeah. After you said the second one, I was like, oh. Okay, I felt something like lighter where it wasn't that heavy to be like, oh my God, do I give my phone or not, you know? So maybe it does have something to do with that. It seems when you give the words. So I can just see the next wedding proposal now is going to be um, 
you know, will you marry me? If you'd rather not, say I'd rather not, or, you know, (laughs) anyway. But it will lead to a more uh, more, uh, accepting, yes. Okay, so let's talk about men. I hope, you know, when you're going to ask someone to marry you, I hope that you know already the answer. There's no chance of no coming. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about men. There is a disturbing new trend on TikTok. I, I I don't even know what to say, you guys. I don't even know what to say. This is a trend on TikTok that's targeting vulnerable young men. It's called looks maxing, which is maximizing one's looks. Sounds okay so far. I mean, you want to look good, and that's fine. But... Let's talk. This is aimed at young men and boys who want to change their appearance and gain social acceptance. They are directed to rooms where they're instructed to upload photos of themselves in exchange for advice. What? <laughs> like somebody critiquing them it on sounds their picture? Kiki, if you ask me. I mean, I don't know. Somebody, I bet there's someone there who's like, somebody's enjoying creeping on those but yeah so this starts with something called soft maxing all the words have maxing then named the words to sound inappropriate (laughs) one doesn't but yeah yeah so soft maxing which actually sounds pretty good to me it's like teeth brushing teeth whitening removal of face and body i mean it sounds like general hygiene Hygiene. stuff i'm cool with this like you know wash your armpits and your feet like you know in your butt you you know like be doing like this this is you know like do that dudes like it's cool then it goes to something called mewing, which is like the same word your cat makes, but mewing, which is tongue exercises to help tone facial muscles. I, I don't know what is it? I mean, you know, sticking your tongue out, uh, uh, you know, who knows? And then it could, you know, could be exercising or eating right. So I'm cool with all of that. You know, the, the tongue exercise, I can just see a guy doing that. I, I might laugh, but I, you know, right on if he wants to improve his looks, if that'll do it. Um but it changes to hard maxing. Let's talk about what that is. Hard maxing is steroid use, plastic surgery, things like removing your ribs for a more sculpted waist. I thought people in the like 1500s did that. I didn't know that that really happened, you know, now. Anyway, so it's also bone smashing. So bone smashing is breaking facial bones to look more masculine. There's also starve maxing, extreme dieting and eating and and bringing on eating disorders. There's white maxing, using lightning creams to appear more white. I definitely don't need that one. Edge maxing, which is withholding climaxing in order to boost testosterone to improve your appearance. Yes. And dick maxing, which is using penis pumps to stretch out your penis length. I also heard recently that there's filler you can get into your penis. Which I'm kind of, that's on a whole nother level. That sounds like all kinds of problems. <laughs> because if your penis isn't going to get a lot of movement back and forth, then okay. But otherwise, that filler is going to bunch up. And I don't know. This is insane. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. But uh, yeah, that just doesn't sound right. Okay. So I mean, I'm not a plastic surgeon. So obviously, and, um, and my hat's off to, and the plastic surgeons I know, I can't wait to talk about this because I've never heard it from them. So I'm sure, you know, it'll be fun. 
seems harmless at first. Encouraging self-care, exercise, healthy eating. Like I said, I'm 100% down for this. But there's this researcher. This is where I got this article from. This researcher, Jamila Rosendahl. I usually don't talk about individuals quite like this. She just wrote this incredible article um, and she's a researcher in gender and sexuality studies in the department of social sciences at the university of sunshine coast queensland queensland australia don't you love that they have a university of the sunshine coast i love that it sounds so like great like i want to go there um she says though this is at its core has ties to the incel community and we talked about a couple times ago the involuntary celibates people who blame women for their struggles with establishing romantic and sexual relationships. So it gets even cooler. I, I, you know, I just want to talk about these things. They have hunter eyes versus prey eyes. I'm like, what the hell? You know what that is? No. Oh, okay. But now I'm just shook at all this stuff I'm hearing. Okay. So it's a cantal tilt. And I'm like, I heard that word before. I think like years ago when I studied physiology, but anyway, it's like a canthal tilt, which I'm like, what is that? I had to look it up. It's the angle between your inner eye and your outer eye. And it's known as this fox-eyed look that they're going for. So they like the upward turned eyes, you know, give a sinister look. And the positive canthal tilt is when the outer corners of the eye is five to eight degrees higher than the inner corner. This is highly specific. Hunter eyes have the positive and prey eyes have the negative. I don't know what's going on with mine. Um, but also pursed lips. You know, all my life I've had extra large lips and people would always comment on it. And as you get older, they thin, you know, so that's actually been helpful to me. But also hollow cheeks. I had to, I'm like, people want that? People used to accuse me of sucking in my cheeks all the time because they used to go in so much. Now that I have more weight, it's better. But yes. <laughs> That gives a dominating stare a woman can't resist. How about that? Does that look good? Do you think women would want that? Okay, so men are trained to calculate their sexual market value. If a man is deemed as average, they're bullied by other men. They're accused of being bitches. Um, they're seen as feminine, weak, and submissive. Imagine the abuse that someone subjects themselves to by trying to improve themselves. I mean, that's, I think that's the ugliest thing here. Well, and they say things like you're too ugly to live and they're instructed how to take their own lives. I mean, this is the coldest, most vile form of abuse. Um, and they post comments like women should be stripped of their rights because they have primitive minds that need to be tamed and say, bring back rape. I mean, it's it's really shocking. So this researcher looked at things, you know, young people under pressure, and we've heard a lot about this, um, and it is a very serious topic, but we see people turning in on themselves rather than trying to make things better. They're becoming much worse, and they're kind of folding in on themselves. We have a broader cultural issues that are going on right now that are pushing on young people, wars pandemic isolation and learning loss, post-pandemic anxiety. We all know these things, environmental degradation, unaffordable living, unstable employment. I have to laugh because uh, besides the pandemic stuff, all the other things were the same for me. And of course we had the AIDS pandemic. So it was, that was actually a pretty bad time. So I guess it wasn't that different. Um, 
And it's been worsened, though, by the social media and the push for hyper individualism, hypersexuality, and consumer capitalism. That's the bling and checks and million dollar jets. Uh, and this is just something I've had a problem with. And I saw uh, real time with Bill Maher. I know you don't watch it, Brian. Did you? No. <laughs> but real time with Bill Maher, which I think is, it can be a very provocative, fun show. He went off on how there's this worshiping of the almighty dollar that's gotten so much worse and really pushed by our music industry and the social media, et cetera. So um, this is just seems to be another expression of it. So young people cannot control what's going on around. That's what this researcher is, is positing. And so they turn to trends such as look maxing because it is something they can control. And that makes sense because you know what that's really tied to in general, which this, of course, is, is eating disorders and eating disorders and things like um, um uh, bulimia, you know, muscle bulimia, which we see in men a lot. Um, and then we also see, you know, body dysmorphia where they're looking at their face and they're having questions about it, etc. But that's not the answer, dudes. That's not the answer. You know, I always think that the best answer is what's upstairs, but I'm extremely biased. So there I found a study also this week, and it was pretty amazing. If you're looking for love, you'll have more success rather than changing your looks, to seek a sense of purpose in your life. How about that? So research by the University of, oh, I'm sorry, Washington University in St. Louis, they get it mixed up all the time, and I just did, it's Washington Saint U University in St. Louis, published the International Journal of Applied Psycho Positive Psychology, International Journal of Applied Positive Psychology, these are some tongue twisters for my big tongue, um, they showed onlining profiles that show a sense of purpose were rated higher on various scales of attractiveness actual attractiveness compared with profiles that indicated no sense of purpose. Isn't that a trip? Dang. Yeah. So if you're going to put something online, if you're going to go on Tinder, Grindr, all the years, you can be sure to put a little bit more in there if you really want to meet someone for a romantic purpose. People with a higher purpose were considered more romantically attractive. And let's talk about their four purpose categories because there were some clues about what really helps. There's pro-social orientation, which is goal of helping others. So that you know, that's been my mission my whole life. So I have to say how interesting I already fell into one of the groups. There's relationship orientation, which is goals of family and finding a partner. There's financial orientation, which are goals of financial security. And there's creative orientation, which is goals focused on creativity and originality. Pretty cool. huh? Makes sense. So people also rated profiles higher if they shared the same purpose orientation. What's interesting to me is, you know what? I actually am attracted to people who have purpose. and I, But you know what the one I'm attracted to? Do you know, Brian? Laugh like somebody with like a good sense of humor. Oh, my God. Good sense of humor. Top of the list. Okay. But that wasn't on here. Oh. Sense of humor orientation wasn't on here. But kind of. You know, creative orientation. I people focused on creativity and originality. Like pe new, people that are grappling with things, and it can be anything from intellectual to artists to musicians. I just love people who create. 
it, to I me it's, it's the cool it's the you coolest know, thing in the world creating is kind of like magic that you make in our little world absolutely so there was one group so they say if you match your purpose with someone you'll even think they're hotter you know so it's like oh yeah that person's really hot they have a relationship orientation they want to have a family and kids you know all of a sudden they look hot so you know i'm not making fun of that but it's like you know whatever you that you match up with these orientations what's so interesting is financial had a little bit of a different thing it didn't rate as high compared with the other categories so when you're in a category like pro social or finance uh, or or relationship oriented or creative you don't find the financial people as hot how about that but if you're a financial person you do find them as hot. So it seems like the financial people match up with the financial people, which is it seems like why all the people have the money. <laughs> Otherwise, financial orientation is a turnoff for most people. How about that? So, and what are women looking for? We'll talk about this study a bit more in another podcast in the future. But according to a study of 64,000 women from around the world, looking at all these different countries, so many different, I can't remember how many countries, 64,000 women from around the world, they took this clue ideal partner survey. Do you know what the number one thing women around the world are looking for? Kindness. Oh, wait, how'd oh. you know? That is exactly it. Oh, I just, I know. Good for you. I know. Oh, no, but that's it. I have like part woman brain, I feel like. Do you know that I, I, and there is nothing more wonderful. To me, kindness is one of the most wonderful. I, yeah, I love sense of humor. I love intelligence. I love someone who's creative. But kindness warms your heart. And I have to say, I, I love it too. And I find it odd when women don't like men that are kind or have like, you know, morals or, you know, good manners where I'm like. There's an issue there. <laughs> there is. There's often an issue. Well, Brian, I guess that wraps up the show for today. Good stuff. It was good stuff. I feel I hope everybody <laughs> learned something. And um, if anybody listening is one of those guys, please don't take steroids. Don't do anything crazy. Like, just try to do the things that will make you happy in life. Or keep it to a minimum. You know? <laughs> Yeah, the steroids, just no drugs, no nothing like that, please. That's a little scary. You know? Um, okay. Well, unless you're a bodybuilder, I guess that's the world they live in or for a professional but even athlete. Then, or... Get it done properly. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that wraps up the show for today. I'm Dr. Greg, and this is Brian Gomez. And until next time, be present, be flexible, and be kind. Be flexible.